I'm Julie. And this is A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Oh, this one's chock full of reality. (laughs) Chock full. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And not below the surface, really. Not at all, right. Yeah, this is nonfiction. Um, John Paul the Great by Peggy Noonan. I really like this book. I like this book a lot. Oh, man, yeah. This is my third or fourth time of reading it. I was reading it going, going, how can tears be coming to my eyes so often while I read this book? It's so good. Yeah, it's so good. And um, this time I listened to part of it. Um, The audiobook is terrific. It's read by Peggy Noonan. Oh, Um, really? So it's very personal. You you listen to it and it's just like she's sitting there talking to you. So That's great. um, Yeah, really, really quite good. Peggy Noonan is a columnist for the Wall Street Journal currently. Um, Before that, I believe she was a a speechwriter for Reagan. Am I correct on that? Yes, yes. Okay, that's what I thought. And I know she wrote a book about Reagan that I haven't read that I'd like to read. It was called When Character Was King. Yes. So yeah, so now she writes columns for the Wall Street Journal, and I try to catch those when I can. Um, and but there, she's she's just a terrific writer, very thoughtful person too. She is a great writer. I vary on whether I agree with her columns or not, mm-hmm, but she mm-hmm. always pulls you in and makes you think about something. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So what she what she wrote here is, um, gosh, I, I guess you could call it a, partly a memoir. Uh, about herself and her relationship with John Paul II, which was not a personal relationship, but, you know, the relationship that um, any of us here in the church might have had with John Paul II. Um, a little bit, uh, she, she because she's a journalist and things, she had a little more access to him than I would have had. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, she got to meet just him and things. Yeah, just a little. So, um but uh, but but really, she's writing this book as a, a member of the church uh, and as a person who loved uh, John Paul II. As, and, yeah. that, and I share that with her. Right, right. Well, and so it's partly biography of John Paul II. And I really like it for that because she hits the high points of his life in a way that... <sighs> You know, George, I don't know how you say his name, Weigel, Weigel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's uh, the well-known biographer of John Paul II, and his, he's got two or three books, and they're just bricks. And they're really good. I've gotten halfway through the first one twice, but, you know, I don't need that much detail about all this stuff. And if you want to get the sense of what's going on, how it helped John Paul turn into the person he was, and um, kind of led to the kind of papacy that he had then this is good for that. And then interwoven, as you say, is the story of her life. And it's because she saw him as a spiritual father. And so he was integral to her conversion. So she's very honest about it in a way that we can all understand. And without dragging us through the muck. I mean, I don't know if she has muck. She didn't talk about it. And I appreciated that too. <laughs> she was just like, you know, I here's what happened to me. Yeah. My yeah. search. So Yeah, and, and like we said, it's it's extremely well written. Um mm-hmm. so it was just um you know, I, I just found it fascinating all the way throughout, you know, just uh talking about the Pope, as she saw him, you know, and like I said, it's usually from afar, you know, mm-hmm. the way that I see him. Right. So, um, yeah, it was just, uh, well done. And for me personally, you know, Pope John Paul II was the first one that I remember. I really 
uh, as I think about it, I I think that I I have some memory of John Paul the first because oh. I I do remember in our house that it was an amazing thing that there was a conclave going on. And then suddenly there was another conclave going on. And I remember okay. being intrigued by that. I would have been 10 years old. So, um, okay. so yeah. So um, that's what I remember. It was like, wow, why is this happening again, Dad? You know, well, yeah, he died already. So, um, but yeah, for those that don't know, we had uh, uh, Pope John Paul I, who lasted a little over a month. Yeah. And then um, uh, Carol Watia was elected. Pope. Yeah, the first non-Italian pope in several yeah. hundred years. For a long, long time. Yeah. And it was a surprise to a lot of people. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because for me, I knew there were popes, but I was raised in a family of atheists. Mm-hmm. And as I've said before, not aggressive atheists, just who thinks about that stuff and who cares? There is no God moving on. And um, first pope I ever paid attention to was John Paul II, because when I converted, he was the pope. Mm-hmm. And so then I was interested, and what did what has he been writing? And so I would read an encyclical here and there, and so I know I read Crossing a Threshold of Hope, and that yeah. was a really great book, and it was a question and answer from a journalist, and then the Pope would kind of write his answers as he had time to yeah, do it. Yeah, I love that. And it was so insightful about how to think about the church and all the things taken into consideration for believers and non-believers and people around the world, and. Of course, at the time, communism was still a thing, mm-hmm. so that was a big battle. Wow, I'm going to revisit that. I, I have read that at least twice, but um, the, reading this and hearing you talk about it makes me want to look at it again. Yeah, it but was it, good. Yeah, and it was not typical of a pope, right? It, it was one of those things that John Paul did that was kind of surprising to people, mm-hmm. you know, because a oh, pope's not supposed to do that. But right. the, uh, the journalist... Um, Send you know he was going to interview him in person and then um, ended up something happened that meeting couldn't happen and then he said he sent him these questions and much to the journalist's surprise one day he got a manuscript <laughs> and John Paul had been spending time writing the answers to these questions and uh, mm-hmm. there was the book and um, how 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 cool is that so it yeah. it really. Um, you know, you, you talked about, well, you know, like Benedict had uh, this guy, Peter Seewald, who wrote a number of interview type of books. And I think that that was Benedict um, bringing this forward. Well, he started it when he was Cardinal Ratzinger. Right. Oh, that's right. With Salt because of the Earth he, was when he was a Cardinal, wasn't it? Yeah. Right. So it's because he was very important and influential and kind mm-hmm. of John Paul II's right hand guy. Yeah, they they called him the Pope's Rottweiler <laughs> since he was German, and um, you know you notice that trend of the Pope can't be the one who's you know m- being legalistic and uh, mer- meeting out discipline. Maybe mm-hmm. is the way to say it. It's being seen as harsh. Yeah. So they have other people who kind of do that for them while they're busy poping and doing other things. <laughs> and so Ratzinger was that way. And when you saw Ratzinger become Benedict, Pope Benedict the 16th, he suddenly became a lot nicer and you had other people doing that. Right. Right. Because that's not their pastoral role is not just of the person who's going, well, these rules have to be followed in this way. They're a father at that point. Mm-hmm. They're our Papa. Right. The Pope. 
And yeah. a father has to be loving as well as, you know, the Pope will say, okay, well, now here's the thing. You know, and Pope Francis has been doing the same thing. So, um, you know, no, we're never going to have married clergy. So deal with it and move on. And that kind of thing. But it's done in the gentlest way possible. And after other people have kind of looked into everything and given him all the results and he's had a chance to think about it. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing for me to look at, you know, the three popes of my lifetime, um, you know, not counting anything before 1978. Mm -hmm. Right. Um and how different they are from each other. And um, so, you know, John Paul II is lined out here by Peggy Noonan, was a very spiritual person. People would weep sometimes when they saw John Paul II, yeah. right? I don't know that there was a lot of weeping when they saw Benedict XVI. You know oh, what I mean? No. He was like a professor. He was like... Um, and I do love Benedict. I love him a lot. I you love know? him so, so he, much. But he, he's like, you know, he wrote many, many books. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this is kind of what he was. But it was a different tone, right? It was like, um, this is a professor. This is a person to whom we can ask anything and he'll know, right? Yeah. He and, was the yeah. teaching pope, I always think of him, right. because he yeah. would do his uh, Wednesday audiences, which mm-hmm. are when they're just to the general public out there over the plaza. And that's when popes often will do a series of homilies over a long time on a topic. And boy, did he do, he gave us book Mm. after book of compiled homilies on the apostles, the saints, the fathers of the church, the mothers of the church, Mm. the prayer, Prayer, all these things. Yeah, I'm looking at that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then now we have Pope Francis, right? Who again is different. Mm-hmm. Um, he is more, um, I mean, it's almost cliche to say this now, but he's more of a pastor. He's more like the, the, the guy that I see at church every week mm-hmm. who's, uh, you know, the pastor of our church, right? The priest that's in he- the head of the, the church. And he talks that way, um, often. So it's like, well, what is God telling us? What, what is it that we need from, you know, what is Francis giving us that, is so needed right now is something that I think about sometimes because, you know, he, he does kind of push envelopes and things, you know, and you're like, well, I wonder what he's doing, you know, but Mm -hmm. he, but he hasn't, a lot of people think he's done a lot of things that he hasn't done. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, that's pretty true. Every Pope that we know in the modern age, for sure. For sure. People will take one soundbite, one sentence and then run with it without looking at the context of what they've done. Yeah, and I think that that is a super important thing. You know, I'd love to mention this. Is I know this is a little bit of an aside, but you turned me on to a place called Get Religion. Yes, um, which is a really great resource because if you if you are getting your news from somewhere like CNN or Fox News or something like that, and the Pope does something and it's being reported there. I I promise you that it's not correct. <laughs> it's yeah. it's going to be partially correct, and um, you know it, you need to look into it a little bit. But the uh, a really handy place to look into it a little bit is this site called Get Religion, which spends its time um, clarifying religious news stories in a way that's that from a religious perspective. In other words. You know, at CNN and uh, and Fox News or the newspapers, especially like the New York Times, these are not uh, often. They are not religious people that are writing these stories. They're not writing from the context of I know what this is. 
Yeah. They're writing from the context of, I have no idea what this is, and it's very curious and weird, and I'm going to write this because I have all these preconceptions, and I know what, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it clarifies all that stuff. Yeah, Get Religion is always examining how religious news is reported. And that's such an interesting angle to where they're going, they'll praise an article sometimes and say, look what they did. They kept in the religion. They talk about this. They raise these questions. They examine these things. They let these people all talk. And so they'll praise things, but then they'll also look at other things and go, here's this thing that happened where it's obvious to any normal person who knows about maybe the personality or the situation that religion was an element. And they're like, wouldn't you think they'd have mentioned religion somewhere? Nope. Here's what they did. And they'll talk about how other people are talking about that article, maybe. I mean, it's really a good site. Yeah, I, I subscribe to it on my, uh, I still have an RSS feed reader that I use. Oh, And it's, yeah. it's in there. So uh, it's like I always see them, If even if I don't read all the um, posts, there's mm-hmm. uh, I, I often read the ones that have to do with Catholicism. So. Yeah. Um, but... That is a given that um, it's misreported all the time, something that the Pope says. And one of the things, too, is that um, the Pope is not usually speaking English when he says <laughs> something. Or something comes from the Vatican, it's not in English, so there's translation issues. Usually in that first little window of reporting something, you know, it's like, well, what did it really say? <laughs> is yes. something that I ask all the time, so... I will, okay, since we're on our aside, and Mm -hmm. I swear, people, we're getting back to John Paul soon. (laughs) Um, In terms of looking at the Vatican, there are a variety of sources, but one that I enjoy a lot is John Allen, who has Mm. a podcast. Yes. And he, (laughs) it's called Last Week at the Vatican, and he always starts off, he's funny, he starts off always saying, here we are with the podcast that tells you all the stuff that happened last week, so you already know about it, but we're going to tell you anyway. <laughs> and um, he is probably the top reporter on Vatican News, at least for Americans, that I can think yeah. of, because he's mm. one of the few people, and for a while the only person, I think, and maybe still is, who was solely assigned to the Vatican and not just like you're doing Rome and also the Vatican. Mm -hmm. It was just the Vatican. So he's got all this wealth of knowledge and time in looking at these things. And when you listen to this podcast, which is weekly, usually that's their aspiration anyway. And they're, they're uh, affiliated with cruxnow.com, which is the website that has all kinds of Catholic. I think he might even be like the managing editor of that. He began it. Yeah, he began it. And now they're affiliated with word on fire, which is interesting because crux doesn't always take what you would call the party line Mm -hmm. necessarily. Um, So I think it's interesting that they very proudly are, you know, we're affiliated with word on fire, which is Bishop Barron. So that gives them credibility with a variety of sides. And in John Allen's writing, I found him to be extremely even-handed. And he talks about how he, you know, gave a, a professor something where the professor's like, and he was so proud of it. It, it was so even-handed. And the professor went, wow, okay, read this through this lens. Mm-hmm. And he reread it and went, oh, I didn't know I was like that. Yeah. And that changed his wow. writing style forever. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, so he wrote a book called All the Pope's Men, and it's about behind-the-scenes stuff at the Vatican. That's a fascinating book, and I think it was written during, gosh, either the end of John Paul or beginning of Benedict's time. 
So, but the basics are still there Mm -hmm. and it's very even handed. He's very good about doing that. So anyway, if you want to listen to something that's a good compliment, I think to um, get religion that has just a different point of view where he'll go, well, here's how the Italians are looking at this thing Mm. that's going on with the government and the Vatican here. Here's how this is looked at by both sides. Uh, That's a good source too. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in that sense, that's kind of just to get back to the book a little, what Peggy Noonan's doing, because as a reporter, um, she's not looking at John Paul in a negative way. She's looking at him as a faithful Catholic, but she's still also saying, well, at this time, I wasn't Catholic, and so all I cared about was how I looked. Mm. Yeah. So as a person of faith. That was fascinating, yeah. yeah. That that (laughs) particular place that we were talking about, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um and and sh- her interpretations of things means she has access to people who will say, "Well, I think the pope reacts like this and mm. for this reason." And she doesn't name people often, but you know they're high up people who have access also. So, anyway, it's just interesting. Absolutely. And um I I thought that was really a uh, nice thing for Peggy Noonan to have done or or to kind of see that how um, I think it was like, um, did she, you might need to remind me of this detail, but did she actually see the Pope? She was actually turned away. That's what happened. She was, she was trying to see the Pope or go into this cathedral and she was turned away at the time when she was like, so worried about how she looked and stuff. And then right. later on in the, in the book, she actually gets to see the Pope in there and there's a, a lot of circumstances that happened. She was waiting for a person and all this stuff. And then finally she was allowed in. Um, but she was allowed in and she says she thinks it's the same door. And and yeah. what a what a, a incredible thing to have noticed. That's pretty neat. Well, because the thing is, is that at the beginning, because what she's paying <clears throat> attention to when she's reflecting on it is her interior motivations, which is, of course, what we all have to reflect on. Because she's like, looking back, I know that I was just like, aren't I great? I have all my labels. I'm an important reporter. I look fantastic. I was dressing to impress this man I was hoping I'd run into. Yeah, and she's yeah. just like, I can just go waltzing in anywhere I want. And the cop's like, no, you don't. And she goes, but I have clearance. No, you don't. Get out. Mm-hmm. And so she felt really humbled. And she goes, and what I was being told was, I, you're a mess. And she goes, and I didn't listen. She goes, I heard it, but I didn't listen to mm. it. Yeah. And so um, then later, when you hear the circumstances she goes through, because she's like praying and praying she can go because the Pope's coming to America and a friend says, yeah, but what are you doing about it? You're praying, but you're also there. You're supposed to be active in moving things forward. So she gets on the phone. She gets a ticket. She has a friend who's going to meet her. The friend doesn't show up. All the things you're saying, who has the ticket and all this stuff. But she winds up on the way collecting all these other people who also had gone through hell and high water to get there, some of them much more than she had from other countries even. And they're all kind of like this little band of disappointed believers who are kind of clinging together in their sorrow. And she has this one chance, this one guy goes, oh, this copper detective, I think, says, I love your columns. Mm -hmm. You come on in. And she looks around and everybody's going, go, go. And she goes, nope, it's all of us or nothing. I got Mm -hmm. put here with all these people. We're going. And he goes, okay, come on. Hmm. And he just yeah. lets them slide in through a side door. Yeah. And they're yeah. really close to the Pope while he's saying the rosary. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Which she has become devoted to. 
mm-hmm. during the t- between those time periods of being thrown out and being let in. And that's when she's like, it was the same door. And so it's a big revelation of so many things that have changed in her life. At, you know, at that first experience, she wouldn't have cared about those people. Right, right. And she wouldn't have cared about why they cared. Yeah. And so the whole book is kind of full of things like that, where um, she'll suddenly have a chapter and she'll be talking about John Paul and how he's so devoted to Mary and then talk about the rosary some and then talk about her personal experience with the rosary and how a tiny, uh, I guess you'd call it, it is a miracle when things happen that aren't exactly good things. That also is a miracle. Mm -hmm. God kind of intervening in her life to go pay attention and her going, oh, I guess I should start saying the rosary, you know, <laughs> right, and her experience right. with it where, yeah. you know, mm. like so many of us, she's, she's devoted to it for a while. It does amazing things. She's telling everyone about it. And then she gradually slides out of doing it. Yeah. Can, and you, she doesn't, can you imagine? Okay. I mean, it's, that, that's, that's people, right? And I love <laughs> just her honesty about it, you know, is right. refreshing because that's something we all have in common. We know what's good for us. You know, it it might be the rosary. It might be taking a walk. (laughs) You know, there are so many things that we ought to be doing and we know that we feel better when we do them. And then we stop Mm -hmm. because that's what we do. So, right. (laughs) Yeah. Gosh, I'm going through that right now because my mom has been having physical therapy. And I, from the second day of her doing these exercises, I could see so many benefits already. Hmm. And yet still, it's the same struggle I have. So I can't even be mad at it. Well, I can, but you know, uh, it's our little struggle of, you know, today, are you going to do these exercises? Yeah. And she also knows she'll have these days where she's like, I couldn't have done that before if I hadn't been doing those exercises. But the next day, I don't want to do them. And Mm -hmm. I'm right there with her and for spiritual things too, sadly. Yep, sadly. It's that discipline. Yeah, it, it's it's an amazing thing. You know, this is, it's, you know, I had a conversation with another friend of mine and, um, you know, we were talking about, well, you know, and I've heard Bishop Arian say similar things. It's like, well, do you really believe in this stuff or not, right? Right. Do, do you really do it? Because if not, what are what are we doing? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If, if you're not putting that God at the top of the mountain, right, there is nothing mm-hmm. above God. Then yeah. what are you doing? I mean, yeah. do you really do you really believe this stuff or not? And sometimes it's just you know the world getting chaotic and you not realizing that that's what you're doing until you, until you see it right, like Peggy Noonan mm-hmm. was showing. Yeah. Right? Sometimes you just don't know you you're not you're not in a position where you see that, and then suddenly it's you know like the frog in the water or whatever. You know, uh, it's getting hot now, and you're like, "Why are things? Why are things out of order? Why are things not yeah. correct?" And you're like, "Oh, well, that's because I'm pursuing this, mm-hmm. and I'm shunning these other things, which should be more important." Yeah, my priorities are out of whack. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, so now um, this, I'm going to ask it, it. Okay, everybody, it seems like we're rambling around, and we kind of are, <laughs> but the book kind of encourages that. His life is not just told in one huge chunk. Right. As she comes across things that seem germane, then she'll stop fairly far into the book and go, and here was his childhood. And here's the effect it had on him. Because she's ready to talk then about sacrifice Mm -hmm. and loneliness and understanding um, what it means to have to move on when life is just awful. Or she'll talk, she starts off talking about when he went to Poland the communist government, what do we do? The Pope wants to go to Poland. 
<laughs> and how that worked out. So what she's showing you is one of his greatest triumphs and how God was working with him in the, in essence to get those people to make that huge mistake yeah. of letting the Pope come in. <laughs> um, and it's, it's super inspiring and it shows you, she says, um, she wrote the book to try to explain why do those of us who love him, love him. Hmm. And she goes, and to those who don't love him, why it matters if somebody does essentially, you know, yeah, right. um, mm-hmm. what, what difference does it make? And um, so I realized I was rereading this, you know, and going, yeah, I love this book so much because it reminds me of him, what I loved about him. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how much I loved him until the end of his life when he was so sick, so suffering and carrying on still being the Pope despite everything because he believed this lesson of suffering and life being worth it and people having meaning even if they couldn't do anything mattered. And he was a living example of that. And I can remember talking to my mom on the phone and something came up and she, you know, and this isn't bad. This is just how a lot of people, she goes, why didn't that old man just die? She's kind of laughing. And I was suddenly hit by this feeling and I went, but I love him. Mm Mm-hmm. He's my father. And she was like, there was this silence. She didn't know what to think. And I was surprised I said it. Yeah. And then there was right before his death, the day before uh, the Drudge Report, is that what it's called? Accidentally reported that he died. And I was at work and I went running into my husband's office and told him, and I just burst out sobbing. And I said, Mm. I don't know why I'm doing this. And my husband said, because you love him, but you just didn't know how much. Wow. Yeah. 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 And, um, right. And, and that, that idea. So he had, uh, what is Parkinson's, I think. Right. Yeah. Is that right? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, she describes, um, one of the scenes in the book that I loved so much was when she went to a papal audience, um, or mm-hmm. she, so it was her, they told her to go to the big, uh, gold doors or the brass doors yeah, yeah, and she the showed doors. the bronze doors. That's it. Right. So she shows up there, you know, and the, and the, the guy in the cab knew exactly what she wanted, <laughs> which, you know, she's like, I need to go to the bronze doors, you know? And he's like, yeah. So, um, he, she goes there and she's waiting and people start to gather. It's like, there was a, a musician that showed up and then this, this person in his family showed up. So there's this little, group of people and then they opened the bronze doors and in they went and then she described like when the pope came in i just loved her descriptions of it you know because he was old at the time and and he was um having these problems like you said he was suffering and he's like shuffling in with a cane and then he stops and he lifts his cane and he shakes it right like woo, Mm -hmm. and the crowd goes nuts you know what i mean and uh, uh, that's just well, no, so that's, cool. You're talking about the private audience, not yeah. But isn't the big crowd, isn't right? That, so, I mean, there was a crowd. Well, I say the crowd, but there was like nuns and stuff there. Because what happens is mm-hmm. he walks in, and some Filipina nuns started singing a little song. Right, and he right. Shakes his cane and goes Philippines. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, that's it. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. and then mm-hmm. some other nuns are singing. Some they start singing <laughs> something, and he goes whatever. And they go yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, uh, yeah real celebratory. Uh, love even it. though he can't do much, mm-hmm. his personality still is coming sparkling. It still through. is, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was just an incredible moment. I loved the musician. You know, had this song that he wrote, written on paper, 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, I wrote this for you, you know? And uh, he takes it and he signs it and gives it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, this is the greatest day of my life after yeah. after the Pope had left. And I just loved Peggy Noonan, you know, she said, and I loved it too. It, it's really a remarkable thing to be there for the best day of someone's life, you know? I loved that because that was not saying, and it was the greatest day of my life too, and sharing in it like that. It was like she shared in his joy right. that he got something so wonderful. And that's, that's something that, attitude. you know, that's love, right? You know, willing right. the good of other people, you know? So it's, it's yeah. like when someone else is having a day, you're like, yes, that's awesome that you're having a day, you know, yeah. a great day. So yeah, exactly. I love that. That's that's what love is. So, but well, terrific. Yeah, and that idea of love too is. I'm thinking. I remember where I was when I got the call about my grandmother dying, my father dying, my mm-hmm. father-in-law. I was there when my mother-in-law died. Talk about an, a privilege and an honor. Um, and. The only other person I can think, I mean, there must be other people who I remember that about in history and so forth, but the only one I can clearly think, so it's like he's a member of my family, is the Pope. Mm-hmm. When he was dying, or when he died, I was actually having lunch in a restaurant with some bloggers, because that was back <laughs> when blogging was a thing, that mm-hmm. there were enough bloggers that you would get the Catholic ones together. Somebody was in town on business who uh, I was you know, internet friends with, me and these other women who were, they had a Fort Worth blog and um, we were all having lunch and the news came over. Mm, Wow. And this poor Mm. guy, he sat there and he said, God is so good to me. He said, because if it wasn't for you guys, because it was on a Saturday, I think Mm -hmm. he said, uh, I would have been sitting in my hotel room at a total loss. Mm. Here I am with other people who care too. Mm. And we held hands and we kind of cried and prayed. I'm sure it looked crazy to the waiter, but it was that thing of we were together yeah. when this big thing happened. Wow. Yeah. And that's great. It's, yeah. It's, I remember. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's great. I don't, I don't have a clear memory of where I learned that he died. Um, mm. I have a, I, I have a clear memory around the time when mm-hmm. um, we were right around the, the conclave after that. Um, I was in an airport with coworkers because we were headed somewhere, and on the news it was like, yeah, we predict uh, that the Benedict will, or it wasn't Benedict at the time. Um, they, they were talking about Ratzinger, and I was like, I'd be really surprised. I remember saying, I'd be really surprised if Ratzinger gets that because that's like the 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 obvious choice. And it turned out being Ratzinger. So that's so funny because mm-hmm. I didn't hear anything like that. I was reading all the blogs. They're going the one person we know won't do it mm-hmm. will be Cardinal Ratzinger. Yeah, and that's that's the thing is we know that Ratzinger tried to retire a couple times. Um, yeah, th- yeah. That's one From, of the things that. Th- gosh, this, again, this is an aside, but there was a movie on Netflix with mm-hmm. Ratzinger or oh, Benedict yeah. and Francis. Right. And I'm just like, I don't know what they're doing there, but. Um, they portrayed they're Benedict as someone who someone who wanted to be the Pope so bad that, uh, and then they portrayed Francis as someone who tried to retire. So I yeah, just don't they, understand it. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know about Francis. So, uh-huh. 
but I do know about Pope Benedict. He kept asking John Paul II, now can I retire from leaving the congregation for the faith and doing all these things and, and going our congregation for the defense of the faith? It sounds terrible, but it's just, you know, like somebody's got to keep track of these things. And um, I just want to go right and, you know, be live near my brother and in Germany. And he kept going, no, we still need you, buddy. Yeah. You still have things to do. He was needed. He was the, yeah, he saw himself as, well, I'm, I'm the bookend to follow up to my good friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then yep. he did retire. I mean, nobody who retires mm. from the papacy is dying to be Pope all the time. <laughs> I mean, that's just, they, they didn't want to do it in the first place. And, yeah, yeah. But he was a great gift too. But, and so, mm-hmm. um, he sure was. Yep. I wanted to ask you also thinking about, because John Paul, one of the things in his life is he was almost killed by an assassin mm-hmm. and his, Surviving that, he and others put down to being the third predicted uh, prophecy from Fatima. Mm-hmm. And if this is confusing to people, they just have to go look up Fatima. <laughs> I can't explain all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. to, no time. Yeah. No time. Moving on. But there was a hidden prophecy that everybody always wondered what it was. And it was that basically the priest all dressed in white would almost be killed, but Mary would save him. And the fact that the bullet didn't like kill him or gradually kill him. All these things was truly a miracle. Yeah. And um, so he was totally devoted to Mary. And then the thing with the rosary, he had a, was an apostolic letter on the rosary maybe? Uh Sure. Mm -hmm. And I reread it sometimes. I really love it. It's so good. He added the, he added a set of mysteries, which I was very pleased about because I was already doing that kind of thing anyway. (laughs) Really? Um, That's cool. Well, yeah. I was going to ask you, do you say the rosary? I uh, it's funny that you ask because I've recently picked that up and I've been doing it every oh, morning. For how long? For about 2 weeks. Okay, that's good. Yeah. It's just funny, you know, because um yeah, it's just an interesting question that you're asking me because yes. Huh. Uh, it's like um well this book was part of the reason. Okay. It was like um looking at it again and it could, it's something that I hadn't thought about for a while. Oh. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I should pick this up and it's been wonderful so far. Yeah. Well, and I go in and out of it, but lately, maybe because of this book, but not necessarily. Um, I've been, as we all do struggling with my prayer life. And so mm. I wind up usually at those points coming back to the rosary because it is such a good meditative prayer that you don't have to just meditate on these mysteries that they give you. And I think that's the thing where I don't maybe use the rosary the way traditionally it's used. I'll, I'll also do things like I'll say the rosary, but I'll maybe think about what scripture I read that day out of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Or um, other, it's always related to Jesus. It's always related to um, scripture or whatever. But I remember one time saying it when I was reading through the Bible um, in his, in the order it was written or whatever, and I was saying the Rosary, and I wound up just thinking about the Old Testament reading, and the part I wound up thinking about wasn't even more than about three sentences. And what I wound up reflecting on was actually just some enemy king's wife, or I mean, mother, who was looking out the window and thinking, where's my son? Why isn't he coming home? 
And it was a funny thing to wind up reflecting on for as long as I did, but it was really good, you know? Yeah, yeah. So when John Paul II added the Luminous Mysteries, what he was doing is filling in significant times from Christ's life that weren't, hadn't been included. Because you've got what? The Joyful Mysteries? Mm-hmm, the Glorious Ones, yeah. Joyful Mysteries Sorrowful. are, yeah, from the um, Mary saying yes to the Holy Spirit up through you know, when up to the point of before Jesus is baptized and you have the sorrowful mysteries, which is Christ's passion, all those little things. I mean, little, but the five main things to, and then the glorious are uh, the resurrection and all those things, Mm -hmm. but you didn't have anything about his life. And so what I would often do is say, I'm picking a couple of things from his actual life and going to meditate on those, like right, parables yeah. I'd read or whatever. And so when he did that, I went, thank you. <laughs> you know, because one thing I wasn't doing was meditating on the baptism, the transfiguration, mm-hmm, right. the Beatitudes or the kingdom of God and or I whatever. Love, you know. I love the uh, that he put the uh, wedding at Cana on there. That's my favorite. Because yes. there's Mary right there too. So, yeah. yeah. That's my favorite. And um, anyway, so when he added that, he kind of just finished fleshing it out. And you know, these had to be the kind of things he was also meditating on. For sure. He was thinking through the whole gospel. And so when I'm doing the rosary, um, I'll often kind of go astray. But it's kind of a deliberate allowing myself to go astray. Mm, Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, know. that's great. I have a nice audio recording of um, John Paul II saying the rosary. Oh, really? And yeah, his voice is wonderful. Man, yeah. Benedictus fructus ventris tui. Oh, he's going, and what yeah. language yeah. is it in? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and he, he's saying it in a group, you know, so he'll say the first half of the prayer and then you'll hear a congregation finish. Okay. You know, it's beautiful. Got Happy it. to share that if you're interested. Yeah, it's fun to. It's really nice to listen to, but he's yeah. he's got a great voice because he was an actor too. I mean, he was yes, uh, he was he was everything. He was an actor. He's an athlete, um, all that stuff. So uh, really, and a remarkable he had to do person. the working man stuff. He worked in a chemical factory. Yep, yep. Um, then when the Nazis were in power. Or the communists. I don't know. Yeah. It was you know yeah. poor Poland. <laughs> poor <sighs> Poland for sure. And Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just curious because the rosary is important to her. It is, it is. And um, yeah, and it reminded me of that. She even mentioned the book that you and I both have, I think, by Kevin mm-hmm. Orland Johnson mm-hmm. um, on the rosary. And yeah. um, that's great. I'm going to take another look at that one too. I, know, I need to reread it. I haven't read it in a really long time. And that was the thing where um, <laughs> when I got that book, because I wanted to pray the rosary one time when one of the kids was taken. Tom took one of the kids to the hospital in the middle of the night because we thought maybe she had appendicitis. Mm. Turns out not. But I was like, I need to, oh, I know, the Catholics have this thing. I was newly converted. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, I have a rosary. How do I say it? Mm. And this is before the internet was really a thing to where I just sit down and go look it up on the internet. And I was like, ugh. So I just said the prayers all around. And then I got this book by Kevin Orland Johnson going, <laughs> what do I yeah. do? <laughs> But when I got it and opened it up, the pages of the book smelled like roses. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, And the whole family could smell it. So I just figured they put some rose perfume in the paper mix somehow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I was, uh, later it occurred to me to ask around. And um, nobody had ever had that experience but us. 
and it doesn't smell like that anymore. That's fascinating. That's yeah. really amazing. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, and mm-hmm. roses are Mary's flower for anybody who doesn't know. So. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Rosary, mm-hmm. a little garden of roses. <laughs> <laughs> you bet, you bet. So, yeah, and, and amongst, you know, all those things too, you know, athlete, actor and stuff you know he was a philosopher too i mean he was a he was a thinker and um he's just a remarkable person to be uh looking at Uh, there's just an endless amount of stuff and we we talked about um we mentioned poland you know so these Mm -hmm. these major parts of his papacy where one of them was poland very early on he visits poland and um communism all but falls right there while he's standing yeah. there, right? You know, it's like the people have respond that they want God and uh, yeah. that he's brave enough to turn to the, the, the government people that were there and just look <laughs> at him say, what do you think of this? What do you think about what's going on here? You yeah. know, it's just awesome. And it's then, like if it yeah. was a movie, he'd be somebody who just, it'd be like Moses pounding yeah. his staff once and the cracks start to run. Yes, absolutely. The little cracks start to yeah. go through the ground. Right. There's a book about him and Reagan together that oh, yeah. I would like to read. Because, um, you know, Peggy Noonan, like I said, we said earlier, was in the Reagan administration. But um, that would be a, a fascinating read. I'm not sure. Because I know that uh, Reagan was not Catholic, but he he and Pope John Paul had a pretty good relationship is what I mm-hmm. understand. So I'd, I'd love to read about that. And so I will. One of the things I appreciated about the book is it made me want to reread well, I've only read a few of his encyclicals, mm. but I would like to read more and I would like to reread the ones that I've read before because he was a good writer. He did have a way, of course, of focusing on topics that matter to more than immediate life. And communism matters to more than immediate life because it doesn't allow certain kinds of freedom and certainly not the freedom of religion. But he was looking at all the ways in all the parts of the world that human freedom finds its fulfillment in the acceptance of God's law and Mm. not in casting it off and saying freedom is the ability to do whatever we want. Yeah. You know, that Mm. God's law protects and promotes actual freedom if you accept it in the right way. And so he would talk about stuff like that. I mean, that's Veritatis Splendor is all about that. Mm. Um, He would talk about the fact that it's the body and the soul. I mean, he was way ahead of his time in terms of what we're seeing now with this Gnosticism coming back and which just says, Oh, the soul is all that matters. And I hadn't realized until I was reading when she was going to talk about theology of the body where he had said that Christianity is the only religion that promises resurrection of body and soul, not just soul. Right. I was like, Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And then he wrote the theology of the body, which he wanted to do as a book. She doesn't talk about this. I don't think, but I remember reading this going, Oh my gosh, only the Vatican Um, as a new Pope. He wanted to do this as a book and have the Vatican publish it. And they're like, Oh no, no, no. Popes don't do stuff like that. He's like, (laughs) Oh, all right, fine. My Wednesday general audience is going to be stuff that people can barely follow because I'm just going to do it as chapters of the book, essentially, mm-hmm. or you know, things that can get turned into the book because this is important. I'm getting it out there. And the theology of the body celebrates sex as a holy thing between a couple that draws God into the marriage and elevates everything in a way that people were shocked. Mm. 
that right. a pope would know this. And of course, yeah. he was a priest first. Right. Um, and I have some stuff uh, that she wrote marked in here. Oh, yeah. Um, Read it. So it's in a chapter called Some Different Kind of Pope, <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah. got to be three quarters of the way through the book. But she said what the priest Carol Watia came to believe, he later said, was that the tradition of Catholic sexual teaching had become much too dominated by the idea of the soul trying to master the body as if the body were a rather wicked thing waiting to trip up on the road to salvation. Ray waiting to trip one up, right? Mm -hmm. And it says later, uh, the Pope made it clear in his papal conversations that he was concerned that there was too great a tendency in Western society to view the human body in a confused and superficial way. We view it as something that is outside us, something that belongs to us that we must control, something that is on some level detached from us. But he argued, you cannot separate the soul from the body. They are united. They do not exist in opposition. They are together, and together they make you. Yeah. And then um, he started to talk about, um, or she did, um, male and female. And I I really loved this. Um, Instead of saying man was created and and the woman was created from him, John Paul puts this on a level of perfect equality. Um, The Pope often taught... That the word Adam does not mean man, it means human. God created Adam, the human, and then divided it so there was male and female. Yeah, that's great. Right? Yeah, amazing. John Paul taught that Eve was different from Adam, but part of him, and together they composed a fuller image of God. Adam recognizes Eve as flesh of my flesh. In doing so, he becomes part of a complete giving and receiving of another human being, And this, says John Paul, is the great moment of communion, when man in his duality becomes the image of God. So not until two was Adam fully one. I know. Genius. Just amazing. Yeah. So, um, but that's interesting. So I would like to read into that further, um, because that really struck me this time going through it. Um, So I do need to find some material on the theology of the body. Well, and I've uh, never really cared about it, but lately, just I think from reading this book again, um, I kind of went, well, maybe I should be reading that. And the Theology of the Body as a book is out there. Mm -hmm. And then there's all these other books by, I think Christopher West is kind of the great interpreter of it, going, this is an easier version, here's how to think about it. And I was like, but if he gave these as general audiences, I think I would like to try the book. Yeah, right. Then if I can't understand it, which I get because I'm rereading Jesus of Nazareth by, uh, you know, Pope Benedict the 16th and going, Oh yeah, I remember this is the <laughs> desert where I'm crawling through trying to get to the water of the stuff I do understand better. Oh, that's great. Um, mm-hmm. And it's my third time to read it. So it's just, yeah. oh, I love <laughs> but, it. I love um, it. so I understand this could be like that, but I would like to try the original stuff first mm-hmm. and see where yeah. that takes you, you know? Right. Right. Well, and so um, also the thing, too, is I didn't realize or I didn't remember that he had coined the term culture of death. Hmm. He's the first one who came up with it. And, of course, it's so wonderfully descriptive of uh, the easy, you know, it's just the easy answer. It's like you say, it's all or nothing. Yeah. You can't be, you have to be healthy and whole and living up to your potential or, you know, death is better than that. Nobody wants (laughs) to be semi-perfect. And 
one of the things I loved from the book is she was saying that, you know, we don't have to be perfect. Let me just find that because I'm going to read a little of it. Mm-hmm. If that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's talking about what the Pope says where he's saying, you know, abortion is gravely immoral because it's the deliberate taking of innocent human life. Euthanasia is immoral. Both deny human solidarity. Both are at odds with the respect and protection we owe our brothers and sisters in life. It says the culture of death is quote, actively fostered by a powerful cultural, economic and political currents that encourage a society excessively concerned with efficiency A person who, because of illness, handicap, or more simply just by existing, compromises the well-being or lifestyle of those who are more favored, tends to be looked upon as an enemy to be resisted or eliminated. Hmm. And so that ends the Pope's quote. And she says, he is saying all have a right to life. Babies in the womb have a right to be alive, to be born and walk the earth. We, all of us, have a right to be sick, damaged, unwell. Hmm. We don't have to be perfect to merit life. We can be imperfect, ungainly. We all have a right to be old if we are given to grow old. These circumstances, innocent vulnerability, illness, old age, are normal, not unusual or extraordinary, not a threat to the enjoyment of life, but part of life on earth, part of its tapestry and an expression of God's wishes that we live. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, and since uh, John Paul II's death, I mean, we've heard reports of, uh, like, society. I, I don't remember where this news story came from, um, but they mm-hmm. said they had cured Down syndrome, and the way that they had done that is by aborting all the fetuses that they can detect that in. Yeah, and it's, that's just horrifying. Horrifying. Yeah, it is. Um, my gosh. Because, especially, not that it's not a hard life to have a child or relative who's got Down syndrome, but what I've heard in various people sharing, or um, I think this was even on an NPR piece or something, but it was, you know, it's that there's also the gift of this perfect innocence and joy and happiness that these people have. Mm. And they share that with everyone around them. Yeah. And I can remember being in the elevator at work and uh, along with a lady who was probably my age. And then um, she had with her a Down syndrome, a relative of some sort, because I don't think I've ever seen anybody with Down syndrome who has gray hair. And this person did. Hmm. And she was, we were going down to the lobby and it was Christmas time and there was a Christmas tree. And as we're going down to the lobby, the Down syndrome lady looks at me and she goes, Christmas is coming. Santa Claus is going to come. And I was like, I know, isn't that the best? And she goes, it's so exciting. I, 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 I can't wait to see what he brings me. <laughs> and we get out and there's the tree and the lady with her is just smiling at her so affectionately and lovingly. And we exchange smiles and the smiles are not of, you know, kind of like the, sorry, this is how it is, which you might expect from the relative. It's, isn't this great? Mm-hmm. We were both full of joy because of that reminder of how it is to have that feeling. Mm, yeah. You know? I'll, I'll never forget that. It was an extraordinary moment for me. The the right everyone has to live, you know, yeah. that's just beautiful. It's just so well put. And then he showed us that yes. in his life all the way to the end. Right. Yep. Exactly. It it mattered. It did. 
you know, and um, so those are some of the, <laughs> you know, it's been kind of rambling, but those are some of the the reflections that you wind up having when you read this book. It just takes you into places in your own life and then back into the book. And he, it's one thing I would like to mention also is that she does not ignore the fact that he was not perfect as a Pope. Agreed. Yeah. And, and she has a chapter about, you know, things that were mistakes. And in her opinion, one thing was ignoring the fact of how ugly and cartoonish and um, banal some of the American uh, ordinary time masses are. That's not what it's called, ordinary time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the not the Latin mass, <laughs> which right, is always right. a point of discussion, but uh, just the regular masses. And I'm lucky because I'm at a church where it's as beautiful as it can possibly be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm, a, I'm at a church where it's very beautiful. You know, oh, it's I not, I mean, it, there are guitars there sometimes, you know, but it is mm-hmm. not like she was describing. Um, the mm-hmm. music is very respectful and good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some of that stuff that she was talking about, um, I, I totally understand. I have been to some of those churches where I come out and I'm just like, wow, well, wow. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. the, you know, just like, it, it's amazing. Um, it- yeah. So and then um, also the the abuse stuff. Yeah, um, the big that, thing that was, was sex heartbreaking. So um, the stuff about Cardinal McCarrick had not been out when this book was published, <sighs> and she actually, in a group of people, um, kind of one on one, was addressing these cardinals. You know, I don't remember how many people were on the little panel they were talking to, but McCarrick was one of them, and. Um, I find it remarkable that she says in this book that they didn't seem to understand the depth of the problem. She mm-hmm. was she was feeling that they weren't getting it and that was what she was trying to express, you know, as a layperson, this is extremely serious and you guys need to really deal with this, you know. Right. And they um you know, didn't seem to understand that depth. She was trying to convey it. And McCarrick was on that. And she, she described his facial expressions actually two times in that little space. And knowing what we know now, it's just like, my gosh, well, <laughs> it's yeah, heartbreaking, she says, heartbreaking. Yeah. She says at this point, I happened to look at Cardinal McCarrick who was sitting in the front row. He nodded his head and gave me a smile as if to say, we're all imperfect here. Don't worry. It is odd, but I felt his sweetness. I felt his encouragement. Hmm. And I just looked at that and I thought, this is how good predators are. Yeah. They can fool anyone. Mm-hmm. And of course, that was a brief encounter that she had. She wasn't talking about, and then we had a heartfelt conversation and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> In which case, he would have been able to keep his cover perfectly. It doesn't matter. Right, right. Because when you've got charisma, you can pull it off. Mm. Um, and she was sincerely and heartfelt, in a heartfelt way, giving, you know, here's here's the reality, guys. Yeah. Get with it. And here's mm-hmm. one of the, and McCarrick, which for anybody who doesn't know, and they surely most people would who are listening, I mean, he turns out to be one of the most successful and um, remorseless predators, evidently, of um, any. And a very, a very upsetting to me that evidently a lot of people higher up in the American Catholic Church knew about it. And Pope Benedict yeah. had even sent something saying, you are you cease and desist. Mm-hmm. You have to leave service. You have to do all this stuff. And he had a knockdown, drag out, screaming match about it with the person who was sent to tell him and then didn't. 
And of course, there's failures all along the way. Nobody went in and made him stop and all these various things. But so here's a problem that she's talking about the Pope not getting. And um, we all have had failures and so much upset over this. Mm, yeah. But the other thing is that I found fascinating her explanation of that one person had said as to possibly why the Pope didn't move on it more. And it was that he simply could not take it in. He simply could not understand the idea that these men who are there to protect and guard were doing this abusive people in their care. Yeah. Right. And it's funny because I think he would have understood if it was a priest who was having an affair with a woman Mm -hmm. that was more commonly understood. But I think what she was, what the person was positing to her is somebody of this generation, this upbringing, this mindset just simply couldn't understand it and that it would be a widespread problem. Right, right. And I found that actually compelling. Mm-hmm. I think my father in law wouldn't have gotten it either. Yeah, I hear that. Too. You know? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I don't and know. Then, and then there's, you know, in addition to that, there's this idea of um, the administrative stuff of the Vatican. You know, John Paul was not on the forefront of that in daily life. You know what I mean? He <laughs> right. was he was like, these, like you said earlier, I have other people that do that. Right. Um, one of the things that kind of supports that view in my head is um, in Salt of the Earth, which is that um, Benedict uh, mm-hmm. interview one. Really close to the beginning, the... Um, the interviewer asked him, what's it like working with Pope John Paul II? And he described a typical meeting where mm-hmm. he'd come in. He said, I would go in there and I would sit down and I would wait. And this is uh, Ratzinger talking. Right. I would sit there and I would wait. And then the Pope would come in and we would talk. And I would bring up an issue and I would say, um, we need to, uh, we, we have some uh, Anglicans that would like to come into the church. You know, what we need to come up with a process for this or something like that. And the Pope would say, uh, be generous. You know, that was his advice to, to the rats, right. right? It was like, be generous. And, um, you know, so so he's sitting in there just being informed of what's happening, but uh, he's not involved in the, the day-to-day details, it doesn't seem like, you know. Right. And, and at the end of the book, she does spend some time on, you know, the funeral and afterward and um, Pope, John, uh, Pope Benedict the uh, 16th being elected. And partly, she said, you know, it's because of the homily he gave, where what he was doing is telling the cardinals, whoever's sitting here who's going to be pope, you got to clean out the Aegean stable. Right. Mm -hmm. There is filth in the church. I mean, he wasn't saying that then. He was saying that in a conversation with somebody else that was overheard in a cafe where he's like, we know what's going on. And they say he read every letter of complaint that was sent. I mean, so he knew in depth, he was willing to get his hands dirty. And he started the process of fixing it. Now, mm. did he finish it? No. Did he do it as thoroughly as some people wanted? No. But again, um, you know, progress is progress. And so you got to take it for what it is and move sure. on. Yeah. And I don't want to sound like I'm being dismissive, but we have neither the time nor resources to discuss that in depth. This is <laughs> Agreed. You know, about the book. Yeah. Agreed very um, much. Yeah. But I just hope that, um, you know, <laughs> that they understand you know, it's just, you know, every, just hope there's just nothing else that's going to come out. You know, I, I guess the thing is, you know, these are people and it's imperfect. So, um, 
the chances of something coming out negative is probably assured, right? Because these are people, right. but still, I just want these cardinals in the United States and the bishops in the United States to just understand that it needs to be transparent there, you know, and if something happens, let it out there, man. Do not push anything under the table. Yeah. We're unhappy about this. This is not who the church is. This is not who priests should be. Mm -hmm. Um, But so the other thing is, is it's not just the U S unfortunately it is around the world. And, and one of the things people will complain about, just since we're touching on this, is that the Vatican moves so slow, the Vatican can't be trusted, all this stuff. And But it is becoming better in the sense that, like, you know, Cardinal Pell, who was the, oh gosh, Archbishop? Yeah, I guess in Australia, Cardinal, right? Australia yeah. was accused and uh, sentenced. And uh, without getting into the details of that, it went wound up going to the Supreme Court. And the Vatican said, we're not going to look at this ourselves. We're going to wait and see what happens with the court. And it doesn't mean they might not have gone through their own process anyway, because they will look at things that a court might not look at in the different way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it went to the Supreme Court where it was unanimously judged that, you know, he was wrongly convicted. Mm. Yep. And so it's, you have to go through due process, you have to be transparent, and then hopefully justice will be done. Sure. So anyway. Yep. You but bet. this book is yeah, amazing. It is a good book, and it is an amazing book, and he was an amazing man. Um, and is a saint. And he's a saint. We have wonderful <laughs> memories of this saint who yes. I keep forgetting. I can ask him to pray for us. That's right. That's I right. can go to him with problems, and he understands it because yeah. he... Did World Youth Day? He understands problems with you know kids or he does, yeah. families. He understands problems with married couples. He understands problems of being old and sick and mm. um, a government who is or is not doing what you want or the abuses that you see. He he lived through so much, and this book really shows you. It's part of what formed him into the person he was, who so many loved. Mm-hmm. Right. And who served us for God. He just, he served the church. And, um, yeah. Yep. I have a picture of him right here. (laughs) I got to visit Rome last year and I spent some time, um, his tomb is right there in St. Peter's. And Mm. I spent some time just sitting there. So. Wonderful. Beautiful. Wonderful. Yeah. In fact, I'd love to end with a prayer to St. John Paul II. Please Um, do. But first, what's next? Let's do what's next. Oh, okay. What's next is My Cousin Vinny, which is definitely (laughs) John Paul II's favorite film ever. If it wasn't, it should be. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be fun and a joyous thing to talk about. Now he's got time in heaven to watch movies. That's right. That's right. I think that's what they're doing there, isn't it? Watching movies and talking about them? That's really what they're doing. Oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. Well, let's close this with a prayer, shall we? Okay. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Oh, St. John Paul, from the window of heaven, grant us your blessing. Bless the church that you loved and served and guided, courageously leading it along the paths of the world in order to bring Jesus to everyone and everyone to Jesus. Bless the young who were your great passion. Help them dream again. Help them look up high again to find the light that illuminates the paths of life here on earth. May you bless families, bless each family. You warn of Satan's assault against this precious and indispensable divine spark that God lit on earth. 
St. John Paul, with your prayer, may you protect the family and every life that blossoms from the family. Pray for the whole world, which is still marked by tensions, wars, and injustice. You tackled war by invoking dialogue and planting the seeds of love. Pray for us so that we may be tireless sowers of peace. O St. John Paul, from heaven's window, where we see you next to Mary, send God's blessing down upon us all. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. And it really encapsulates what's in this book. Yes, it does. I love the image of him from heaven's window where we see you next to Mary. I do. It just yes. makes me happy. That's great. I could just see him with his hand on his chin, looking down, smiling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, interested. Yeah, yep. for sure. The whole thing. Love it. Yeah. All right. St. John Paul, pray for us. Yeah, pray for us. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you, everybody. See you in a couple yeah. of weeks. Yep. Yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.